Well, good morning. It's uh, good to be back with you again this morning. We always uh, appreciate the opportunity to come here to Airdrie to share in these services with you. I want to look with you this morning at a little passage in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4 from verse 7 to verse 15. You might like to be looking that up if you've got Bibles with you. But before we read the passage, we need to recall what Paul has already said. In the previous chapter, chapter 3, verse 18, he tells us about our being transformed into the likeness of Christ with increasing glory. The, the, the language here is, is uh, immense, uh, really. Uh, and then in the chapter we're going to read, just the verse before we start, verse 6, he talks about God making his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Now, would you uh, describe yourself like that as someone uh, who has known that light shining in your heart to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ? These are amazing things. Paul is probably using his own conversion experience as an example of what God does for us when we come to Christ. But not all of us have the experience of a bright, shining light uh, and being struck to the ground, the experience that Paul had. And yet, in some measure, that is what every conversion is like. The new birth or the new creation is as wonderful and powerful, and this, I think, is what Paul is implying, is as wonderful and powerful as the original creation, when God said, let there be light, and there was light. And in your life and mine, if you're a believer, God has done the same thing. The light of God, he has shone his light into your heart to let you sense something of his glory and to see the nearness of Jesus Christ. What a treasure that is. That is something to rejoice in if you're a believer this morning. That's what God has done and is doing in your life and mine. And that is some treasure. But, says Paul, and here we take up the reading at verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. 
It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak, because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Amen. May God bless to us that reading from his precious word. You might like to keep your Bibles open at that passage. Because Paul speaks, first of all, about the people we are, the people we are. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Maybe we could bring up the next uh, slide, uh, David, please. Paul describes himself as a common clay pot, and there were plenty of these uh, around everywhere in Paul's day. A common clay pot, maybe even some cracked pots, and some of us are better described in that way as uh, just cracked pots. But uh, there's some comfort for us here, as well as a word of caution, because Many of us make the mistake of thinking that the only people God uses in his service are special people with great gifts, with special abilities, the important people, the people that get noticed. These are the people that God uses. But nothing could be further from the truth than that. We are, says Paul, just ordinary clay pots. There's nothing special about us. There's nothing fancy about us. We're ten a penny. Just ordinary clay pots. Ordinary people. Now, I know there is uh, teaching in Christian circles these days that says the very opposite. It says uh, we are very special. It encourages us to think that we're very special. I'm special is a little song that we sing. Now, actually, don't misunderstand me. It's true. You are special. You are very special to God. You are very special. But you are no more special than the person next to you. We're all in that same category. We are all special to God. So none of us is more special than the next one. We're all just ordinary people. We need to remember that. Uh, but we do need to be reminded that we are special to God, especially, uh, maybe particularly us Scottish people need to be reminded of that, but, but we need to be reminded of it, especially when the devil makes us feel that we're useless, that we can't do anything right. Uh, it's not just your wife or your husband that makes you feel like that sometimes. <laughs> The old devil is, is in there making us feel that we're just, uh, we're just useless. But the truth is that I'm special because God loves me. That's what makes me special. But here's the other side of it, says Paul. Given that, I'm still just an ordinary person. But I don't need to feel inferior because everyone else is just an ordinary person as well. Now, Paul knew 
that he was a chosen vessel. That's what God said of him in Acts 9 at the time of his conversion. He says to Ananias, God says to Ananias, this man, talking about Saul of Tarsus, this man is my chosen vessel. Paul knew that. But he also knew that he was an earthen vessel. He was always very conscious of that. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27, what is it he says? He says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Ephesians 3, verse 8, he says, although I am less than the least of all God's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul was very aware that although he was chosen by God for ministry, he was just an ordinary clay pot. So there's hope for you and me yet, is there not? We don't need to be outstanding in any particular field. We don't need to be always getting noticed. We're just ordinary people. And God uses ordinary people. He chooses ordinary people for his service. We may be ordinary people, but actually we are filled with extraordinary power. And it's important for us to remember that. And so Paul goes on to say that in the second part of verse 7, the purpose God has. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Why? To show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. There's nothing in us doing this. There's nothing in us that's making the light of God shine in our lives. There's nothing in us that's making us sense something of the glory of God. This is God's doing. It is his grace. And we're grateful for that. And the earthen vessels, the clay pots, show up the extraordinary power and presence of God. The treasure, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in a clay jar in you and in me. We may be clay pots, but we are not empty pots. We have an inestimable treasure. But that treasure of salvation and the transforming power of the Spirit are in us ordinary people so that others may see that all the work is the Lord's and not ours. Think about that. Uh, you folks, I, I was going to say ladies, but that would be very sexist. But when you're displaying flowers, you have a nice bunch of flowers, you will almost certainly put them in a fairly plain vase. Isn't that true? Most flowers are displayed in plain vases or not in any kind of vase at all, just stuck into that spongy stuff, whatever you call it. Isn't that true? Because we don't want anything to detract from the beauty of the flowers. 
when you're buying diamond rings, which I'm sure you do fairly frequently. Uh, here's confession time now. I think I've only bought one in the whole of my lifetime um, for my life, and that's been a long number of years. But yeah, when you're buying diamond rings, when you go shopping for diamond rings, usually they're displayed on a very plain surface, sometimes a black background, so that the beauty of the diamond, of the ring, can be properly seen. They would never be displayed on a fancy background. Always very plain background. God intends that the world should see something of his love and his power and his presence in the lives of failing, faulty, weak, sinful human beings so that it may be clear that the power is his. This is a God thing. But is that why God is not using some of us the way he might? Because we're so capable and so self-confident and so high and mighty people that others would just think it was our own ability that was being displayed. We have this treasure in jars of clay so that the all-surpassing power may be seen to be from God. And some people, sometimes people do need to see that actually we are clay jars, or put it another way, we have feet of clay. Sometimes people need to see that. Our, our humanness our ordinariness must be as apparent to others as the power and presence of God so that they may see that the secret is not us but God. That's why, that's why we have got to be transparent people who have got rid of the, the veils and the masks, not hiding our faults when they occur, but honestly confessing them and admitting them. It's the kind of people we need to be. But we don't need to be dressed up like a cyclist without a bike. We are not empty people. The Lord has shone the light of his glory into your life and mine. That's something for people to see. Not because you're great. You're just an ordinary person. But he is great. He is powerful. He is able to do far more than we can ask or think. So it's in our ordinariness, in our humanness, that people will be faced with the presence of God if we are believers. So Paul goes on thirdly to speak about the problems that we face. Verses 8 and 9, he lists them in that powerful series of contrasts. He says there are pressures. We are hard pressed on every side. I imagine he's thinking about some of the normal pressures of life, the troublesome situations 
that affect us all. The washing machine breaks down uh, just as you're about to do a big wash. Now, I know Paul didn't have that problem, but we have sometimes. Or the dog is sick all over our new carpet. Or there's nothing going right at work this week at all. Or your mother-in-law arrives unexpectedly for a long visit. The pressures of life, I shouldn't make jokes about mothers-in-law, there are too many of them here in this congregation uh, for me to get away safely with that. But you know what I mean, the ordinary pressures of life that come against us. We are hard-pressed, he says, on every side. The pressures of life. There are perplexities, he says. Even the apostles didn't always know what to do or which way to turn. You remember, for Paul himself in Acts chapter 16, he wanted to go into Bithynia, we're told, but the Spirit prevented him. Why? Paul didn't know why. Not at that moment, he didn't. He wanted to go into Asia, but he wasn't allowed. I mean, he must have been pretty perplexed and upset and unsure about all of that. We only need to read a few Psalms in the Bible to see the questions and the perplexities in the minds of God's people. And you and I face plenty of stuff like that these days, trying to live by the teaching of Scripture and facing all sorts of difficult situations that are entirely modern. We're perplexed. And these perplexities frustrate us. And then he says, of course, there are persecutions. As Christians, we are promised persecution from mild ostracism, which probably happens for many of us from time to time, to martyrdom, which hopefully won't happen to any of us. But it is happening and has happened down through the centuries and is still happening to our fellow believers in other parts of the world. There are persecutions, but we are never left to bear it alone, never. Jesus, who faced it before us, faces it with us. Now, that's what Paul is saying. And then he says, finally, there are poundings, the pummelings, the punches that keep coming at us. We are struck down, he says. These are the real body blows the shattering things that come often right out of the blue, the death of a loved one, a serious illness that strikes us, a road accident that we're involved in, the terrible experiences of life which try faith to the limit and leave us often frightened and baffled. The poundings that floor us, that knock us down, They're all there for us, for you and me as Christians. Pressures, perplexities, persecutions, poundings. They're all there. Christians are not immune to them. But it's how we react to them that matters. Look at the important buts of faith there in these verses. We are hard-pressed, he says, but not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, 
but not abandoned, never abandoned by the Lord. We are struck down, but not destroyed. I love J.B. Phillips' translation of that phrase. We are knocked down, but not knocked out. We're not knocked out of the battle or the contest. See, there was a difference that could be seen in Paul's life. Not just these things that happen to us throughout life, but but what goes with them? The treasure in a jar of clay. Not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. There is a difference that could be seen in Paul's life. But we have to confess that all too often in our lives, there is no difference to be seen. We react no differently than our non-Christian neighbors to some of these situations. Sometimes, indeed, we react a bit worse than they do. We lose our temper at the minor pressures of life. We are frustrated by the perplexities for which we feel we have no answer. We sometimes grow bitter with God at the, at the major poundings that hit us. We have to confess that. We react badly sometimes. So what was the secret of Paul's victory in all of this? Well, he tells us there in the next few verses, verses 10 and 11, the principles we follow. And there are two principles at work here, seemingly complete opposites, yet two sides of the same coin. There is the death principle at work. This is, it's an attitude to which we must consent as believers. It is something that will be going on in our lives all the time, the death principle. Paul says we are always carrying in our body the dying not the death. The NIV translation is unfortunate there. You see, death is an instant thing, isn't it? But dying may take a long time. But death is momentary. Paul is not thinking about something that is momentary. He's thinking about the dying of the Lord Jesus, which went on right through his life as he failed to follow self-interest. Culminates, doesn't it, in the agony of Gethsemane. Not my will, but yours be done. The dying of the Lord Jesus. We carry that about in our body. Paul says in Romans 6, verse 4, we were buried with him through baptism into death. And in Colossians 3, 5, he encourages the believers to put to death whatever belongs to their earthly nature. There is a constant dying to sin and to self that goes on in our lives. There is a death principle at work in us, in us ordinary people. But there's also a life principle at work. The risen life of Jesus 
is being revealed in us. That's what Paul is saying in these verses, that, that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. Galatians 2.20, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Oh, that people might see something of the life of Jesus, of the love of Jesus, of the compassion of Jesus, of the peace of Jesus in my life. When they look at me, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. There is, there is fruit to be born. Others see the life of Christ in us. Jesus said, you remember, he said, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. I was digging up some potatoes the other day. I'm no great uh, gardener, let me hasten to add. But I was digging up some potatoes. And every time uh, I dug up potatoes from a potato plant, I found an old, dead, moist, pretty horrible-looking potato. Well, part of a potato, maybe just the skin. It, it was what had originally been planted. It was the original seed potato, and it had rotted away. It had died totally. Useless for anything now. But hey, what had it produced? It had produced a massive plant above the surface and lots of potatoes round about it under the surface. There was fruit there. The dying produces life. That's what Jesus says. And all of this has an effect far beyond our individual lives. There's not only fruit in our own lives, but in the lives of others. And, and to see those who are outside of Christ come to repentance and faith and receive new life in Christ, doesn't that do you a power of good? <laughs> doesn't that make the dying to self and even the bearing affliction worthwhile? when you see others coming to the Lord, when you see others beginning to take an interest in the things of the kingdom, as we see the grace of God change lives, it causes thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And it's happening because the power of God is at work, because the presence of God is in the lives of ordinary believers like you and me. It's a spontaneous reaction. I think it certainly is for me. I'm sure it is for you as well. Just a spontaneous reaction when you hear of someone coming to faith or someone coming back to the Lord, you want to give thanks and rejoice. It makes you happy. You're pleased to hear it and to discover it. We, we can't help that reaction. And that's what Paul says here, that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to flow, to overflow, in fact, to the glory of God. And it's my prayer that we might see much more of that in the days to come. There is blessing 
in the battle for you and for me. Whether we realize it or not, there is treasure in these old jars of clay that are you and I. Thanks be to God for that. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Let's sing about